This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. We're going to get started here today. Uh, welcome. This is the last uh, event of our fall reading series. Uh, and today uh, we have students in my uh, COM 107 creative writing fiction class here to present uh, works of microfiction. And these are really just complete stories that run only about 500 words. So these are really compact pieces. Uh, the students in this class decided to come up with uh, a way to loosely connect the pieces. And their approach was to decide to uh, place all of the stories in a particular setting, in this case a restaurant. And so what we wanted to start off with today is just a quick uh, film, a little video, uh, to give us a sense of why a restaurant might be an interesting uh, setting for any kind of story. And once we're done with the video, we'll get right to the reading. Okay. All right. Hi. Surprise? Very. Thanks for coming. Can you hear? Everything okay? okay. Hold on a second here. You might say so. Can I use this mic? Yes. Okay. It is. Can you hear it? You might say so. This is funny. I'm not sure how to mm-hmm. begin. We know how our minds play tricks on us. Tell me about it. Well, mine did a real number on me. Some part of me heard what you had to say after the show that night. That you were different. But I didn't want to listen. I was afraid to trust you. I've been thinking about it. Listen, there's more for me to say. I maybe rushed into things. I thought... Wait a minute. What are you saying? I'm saying... I... uh, I thought I could be there for you, Mary Jane. But I can't. My mind was playing tricks, too. Do you love me or not? I'm sorry. Don't I put it in a year? A year. 
a year of buying lattes from her. Do you believe that? Yeah. I, can't, uh, I can't hear what you're saying. Carol is lattes. She would get this little foam mustache. And I used to say, hey, got latte? And she'd say, that's not funny. What are you guys talking about? She totally got me. She understood that we didn't have to laugh to enjoy each other. What? Can you repeat what you said louder? It is my job to be there for Michael. How can I be there for Michael if I'm here for Michael? <laughs> I would say four dollars. Hi, you ready? Yeah, I would like a number five called twice. Right. Uh, uh, number seven, over easy and uh, grapefruit juice. Um, I would like a fruit plate and a uh, do you have chamomile yeah. with honey, please? I would like the lumberjack and coffee and extra bacon. Extra. My dad, you should Grapefruit, chamomile, and 
Here's your ice cream. I'll emote you, right? I'll be back with your waffles in a second.
Yeah, you'd probably do a lot better with manchettes, but it looks funny on my table. <laughs> Ready? Time we like up. We, we just got here. What are you doing? Our first reader come up. Hi, everybody. My name is, well, you can see it actually on the paper. Call me Maggie if you prefer. I'm actually surprised that for the first time in my life I see my whole name spelled correctly. So I'm really happy about that. Well, my story. I actually most likely prefer if you guys can close your eyes and just imagine you're there. But if you like to stare at me, here I am. My, my story, When the Moon Rises. I'll meet you in an hour, says a voice you hear on your phone. Suddenly, you feel really warm and sweat travels down from your forehead. At the moment, you're not sure if you become too anxious or if someone has turned the heat on in this restaurant. You better be there or else, the voice, sound, the voice continued, before you hear a dial tone that rings in your ear. It takes you some time to turn off your phone. Yes, your cell phone is a small thing, and you like how it pleasantly fits in your hand. Yet, all of a sudden, this object becomes a foreign thing. Or else, the words echo in your head for a while. Suddenly, you glimpse around. You see the brownish walls with some unfamiliar designs. And the dark wooden table seems to be even more sinister in the dim light of candles. Your table isn't better. The same dark curves of wood, the candle in the middle, the white napkin the small empty cup of coffee. There are not a lot of people here. It is strange because when the moon rises, usually the nightlife is waking up. However, you see them coming and going with each minute as you try to examine each person for a while. You see a young man walking in. His cape moves furiously with the wind as the black wings of a dark angel. He's glancing your way for some time before having a seat on the other side of the room. Yet you continue to stare at his thirsty eyes, and as the world, word blood comes to your mind, you feel a cold ice going down your spine. Soon, you get distracted by a young woman who takes a seat next to him. It is funny the way they look together, him wearing black, and her, just white, like a pale full moon, and her lover, the shady night. Another man, with a longer but milky hair, 
an elderly man probably, is sitting not far away from you. You gaze at the way he sits staring at his empty plate as his hair falls down covering his eyes. You've seen it before, the motionless body and the blood-sucking monsters waiting for their prey. Nothing happens, yet before you yawn, you glimpse, your eyes glimpse at the watch on your wrist. 11.10, your lips murmur, and you glance through the window. It is really dark now, almost midnight, and when the moon rises, the outside world looks scarier. Surely this time the world will turn out to be better. When you meet again, the two of you and the story of forbidden love and danger. You feel your heart pumping twice as much as you remember sight of vampires, and each time when the moon rises, you just feel them coming out from the deep earth of your soul. Even now you sense them forsaken, walking among the living in the world that is so close to your heart. As the time goes by fast, you ask for another coffee. 11.40, you mumble once more, as coffee is brought to you. Now you watch the dim lines of hot steam dancing as young women. You still see them pretty, innocent-like, their beautiful bodies cutting the air when the moon rises. You keep seeing them lifting their hands up to pray to the greater being somewhere in the dark sky. When the moon rises, there's this deep presence of a watchful eye, yet the danger comes. Blood-sucking monsters are on their way. Soon, you say to yourself, soon this world will be open to all. As you say it, the blood rushes through your veins. When the moon rises, you hear a voice behind you. It will be taken off shells and it will make you rich. So, you say facing your agent and smiling, in that case, let's celebrate success of another good novel. Thank you. My name is Tim, and my, not, and my short story is called The First Job. I hate my job. I work at this Italian restaurant, but I'm not even Italian. They only hired me because of my pretty face and decent personality score on the website. Only now I realized I wasn't entirely truthful on account of I'm so much colder than I thought I was. Yeah. Something about this place around lunch turns people into things I need to get out the door to make room for the next group and the next. It's a Wednesday night and the place is relatively empty. The only people here are teens with no jobs or retirees trying to re-spark their love lives. It seems like only a week ago I was one of those teens when actually I started just under a year ago. 
even though when I think about it, it feels longer. Now I can't even drive past this place without feeling depressed. I know I should quit, but my mom was so happy when I got this job, mostly because in her day, this was the fancy place to be. But now, like an old artist trying to sell the latest work, had a health inspection grade A sign taped to the window like an old gas station, as if to say, we still got it. I can't but help but, I can't but help look around and wonder, can they sense my stress? This might be all fun for them, but I have to work and be miserable. I know people like to talk to the masseuse because they feel bad for them, although being treated so well. But, I, but people don't really like to talk to me. Mostly I'll, most I'll get is a, is a bad joke or why someone can't eat shellfish. There was a time though when the smile on my face wasn't fake when I took someone's order. I thought that soon I'd be making all kinds of friends and that my boss would stay nice. But no one is ever nice to the new guy and sooner or later the, bo the boss stops forgiving little mistakes. I'm working late tonight. I guess you could call it the graveyard shift. But all I could think of was how I had to open the next day in the breakfast shift. So I was so angry and tired. How could they book that way? Didn't they notice? Do they care? I've been slowing down lately, not working with the same enthusiasm. They're probably looking for an excuse to fire me, all three of my bosses. My mood was only made worse when I was told by one of my supervisors to clean the undersides of the tables. Picking off gum wasn't the worst of it, if you can believe it. It was when I cut open an old blister on a loose nail. I tried to show it to one of my co-workers to get a little sympathy, but I was offered none, and she only told me to get a load of plates back to the kitchen. Did I say I had only three bosses? I meant everyone is my boss. I woke that morning to the sound of my cell phone. It was my boss saying, you're late. I tried to plead my case, but she continued. Maybe you should turn in your badge. I felt sick, but it was kind of funny how she called this cheap piece of shit a badge. I, I walked, uh, my mom walked down the stairs. She could see the sadness on my face. I promised myself I wouldn't shed a tear over this crappy job. But when she asked me what was wrong, and she gave me that little bit of sympathy I was denied. I started to cry. I couldn't help it. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be tough. But the more I tried to fight, the harder it was to stop. I hated that restaurant. I hated it so much. I hated working there. And I hated my bosses and my coworkers. But most of all, I hated the, I hated the way it made me feel about the honest, good people who worked there or who ate there. Hello, I'm Ricky Robel, and my story is called Decisions. So I met this girl the other day, and my brother had recently been engaged. So I figured I'd bring her as my date to their engagement party. I thought it was a good idea, until I got there. It's always awkward when you're kind of seeing someone, but you're not officially dating, and you take them to a family event. I couldn't tell you how many people came up to me. Oh, is this your new girlfriend? No, Grandma. This is my friend Jamie. 
Ends up this lady friend of mine shared life stories with my brother's fiance. And on her way out, my brother offered to take us to dinner the following night. Their treat. Of course, first instinct was, yeah, brother, definitely. The chicks were all for it. Looks like I got another date. Hey, bartender, we need another round over here. Hold on a second. What do you think? I'm only working for you? You should be. We've been waiting over an hour for this damn table. I spoke under my breath. I was a fairly impatient person, but I didn't want to get on anyone's bad side, or we could be here all night. Then it happened. Nearly two hours after we had sat down at the bar, the hostess walked into the light and, like an angel and asked, Gerard, party of four? It's about time, I heard my brother's fiance say. While the hostess led us to our table, I walked beside Jamie and unintentionally bumped her a bit. It was then I realized I was feeling the effects of sitting at a bar for just about two hours. The table greeted us with folded napkins and silverware, ice water and menus. Opening my menu, I looked around and saw my brother and his fiance sharing one. I looked at Jamie, shot her a slight smirk, and transferred my eyes back to the menu. What do I want? I should have cut back on those drinks at the bar earlier. I would probably be able to read this menu a little easier. But they were on my brother, right? Here's the situation. Do I go all out and be the brother that orders a $40 meal just to get a rise out of him? Or do I be mature and order moderate? I wonder what Jamie's going to get. I kind of like the fact I'll find out if Jamie's a cheap date or not without having to pay for it. With my odds, she bluffs. Granted, they just met. I find it a good chance for small talk, but opt out of utilizing it because I would rather build the suspense. The waitress was getting closer to our table, and the others had already put down their menus. I barely even looked at the thing yet. I began to feel pressure, as if I had to make a decision or we'd be passed up and have to wait another ten minutes to order. I don't even know what half the stuff is in this thing. Chicken out of what, I thought to myself. The waitress approached, and the others began to order. Blocking them out, I frantically flipped through the menu for one final time. I couldn't believe nothing was jumping out at me. Not a thing had caught my eye. And what can I get for you, sir? I was lost. I had no idea what I wanted. I went blank. Who would have thought these end up being the hardest decisions you ever make? I could feel everyone's eyes pricking me like pins. I set down my menu, looked up, and answered. Uh, let me get what he got. As the waitress disappeared to place our orders, it felt as if a weight had just been lifted from upon my shoulders. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kurt Taylor, and you're not. No, no. Uh, the lemon pie. This is a story about a man who eats a piece of lemon pie in a restaurant. Um, He looked at the piece of pie, and he looked at it for hours. It may have been days, but it seemed to him at least for hours. It made him recall when pie was pie, when milk dripped with cream, and the restaurant was filled with Lucky Strikes, Camels, and Pall Malls. He thought about the old grocery store, saturated with smells of freshly ground coffee, and aisles lined with tiny green 7-Up bottles. He sank into the vision of the pie to his eyes' knees as he looked at the lemon meringue slice 
and pictured the snows and sleds of his childhood. The white tufts and singed waves of sweet snow that drifted down McIntyre's hill retold him stories of wet socks and bully boys piling on his sled by the hundreds. He coasted into his first bite of the soft meringue like carving an eye in a snowman. In a day of snow angels and cattails, he rolled enormous bodies of lop-angular snowmen, or were they snow women? In those days before sex, he procreated in frozen crystals and wet flakes. The second bite and others that followed into his mouth were melted remains of his early winters. Snowballs, snow forts, ice in creeks and battlefields of play, all in a chapped afternoon as he trundled on crusted blankets of blizzard-bound and icy limbs that left the music of howling winds and the silence of sunlit melting in his ears. All this because he was looking at what he ate. The lemon had its own tales to tell. The crust, however, was an adventure into older women's skirts and flour, dust, and butter, and into the jealousy he felt for his friends, his best friend's family that seemed to have pies like orchards had apples. They brought them from the small stores called bakeries or made them from mysteries like the darkness next to the moon's crescent. His parents bought, brought home frozen cheesecake. He loved Sara Lee too, but the neighbors knew food and pies in buttery ways. Like layers of earth in a rough-cut baseball diamond, the taste of sun in a summer-dried dirt lot with rocks for bases and the color of clay in the unlined curve of a weedy field. The pie also reflected more crumbly than a pile of pitched autumn leaves as he sniffed in memory of the smell of burning autumns. He wasn't eating limestone, just thinking of eating his pie and it looked like limestone as they circled flower beds down walkways. He sipped his milky and sweetened coffee and blotted the crumbs of his barren pie plate with his fingertip pads. It seemed like it had taken him four hours to eat that triangular piece of pie. The warm liquid oozed down the core of his chest and radiated into his arms and legs as he became warmer and full. He sat in his chair against the restaurant wall and went resting and limp in the heat. Why was it coffee and its upper qualities helped him relax? Wasn't it supposed to brace you? An indistinct flash of him drinking coffee when he was very young made him recall how he hated the liquid. The sugar high was spending itself in his newly caffeined body, the moonlight on the snow he had eaten rivered through his veins as the pie sent satisfaction to his marrow. He felt good and fulfilled. He closed his eyes for about 20 seconds and deep low voltage rem passed through his body. The moon in his blood blew its own tide. His eyes flickered and after those 20 seconds he jerked awake. It was not time to sleep. The kitchen was very hot. He looked about him and the swarm of workers impersonating gnats stamped through the coolers, walked in refreezers, and danced near the grill tables. Excuse me. The neon sliced through his sleepiness and suddenness as waitresses called orders in front of him and popped checks on the order wheels. 
He felt as if he had rested and that his body had told him to get the rest. His break was over. He brushed off his dirty apron as he got up to slog his way back to the position on the dishwasher line and thought to himself, it's funny what the body knows. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm sure you've all heard of a work in progress. Um, the longer I make this, the more it seems like a work in regress. Um, still not happy with it, but uh, this is what I have so far. It's called breakfast. He entered, and she was already sitting in the same booth she would always wait for. He took a moment to bask in her beauty before approaching, received by her angelic voice. Sean Rinner! She started. I know, love. I, I know I, I'm late to our, our anniversary breakfast, but I, I have this and, and happy seven... The sudden fury in her eyes shot holes through him, and he was unable to speak. Six, Sean. What you meant to say was happy six months. This is a major milestone in our relationship, and you show up late wearing the same clothes from yesterday. With arms crossed and a furrowed brow, she pursed her lips to signify that she was finished speaking. Uh, last night when I was coming home uh, from your, your, you know, your house yesterday, yesterday I, uh, I, I had to pull over and shake off the dizzy spell that came out of nowhere. I ended up sleeping in my car. But Sean was looking in the wrong place for sympathy. You only live ten blocks from me. That's the point, Lisa. It was too far for me to drive. She looked down at the placemat and at the coffee she had ordered for them. You must be sick. I should have ordered you orange juice. His face contorted in confusion. I don't think this is the kind of thing that orange juice can fix. It wasn't what Lisa was expecting. Honey, do you need Mama to kiss it and make it better? She leaned in to kiss his forehead, but he pulled away. She sat back down, and they shared a moment of uncomfortable silence. I just don't feel like myself. I feel like I'm sinking, like I'm overwhelmed. Sometimes you can be such a baby. She stood up and walked off. He put his head down in his arms. You're supposed to come after me, you jerk. She shouted to him from a few booths down. Sean was painfully aware now that they had the attention of every patron and staff in the entire restaurant. People stared, frozen in time, unblinking, to see what his next move would be. A waitress carrying a load of dishes to the kitchen set the dishes on the table so she could enjoy the rest of this. Hi, my name is Chris, and this story I wrote is called Monsters Are Bad for Business. I just got off work. I'm eating dinner at the restaurant now. The movie's at 10. Okay, see you then. Love you, baby. Bye. After hanging up on his girlfriend, Trim resumed absently breaking up the crackers in his soup with a plastic spoon. He let his mind wander and stared out at the night sky. The clouds parted to reveal a full moon dispersing its cool blue light. The full moon was a bad time for Jim, 
He could feel one of his episodes coming on. Why did he have to change now? He had a date with his girlfriend in an hour. He collapsed onto the floor and started shaking. Before he blacked out, he heard one of the other customers call for an ambulance. Sandy burst through the restaurant doors with the other paramedics. They had been dispatched a few minutes ago because of a desperate 911 call reporting that someone was having a heart attack at this restaurant. Sandy's stomach was in a knot, and she could not help sweating. Even after all her years on this job, she never got used to it. She quickly got everyone set up around the man to begin treat. Give him oxygen. Start some nitroglycerin. Minister aspirin, she commanded. Then Sandy paused and stared because she could sense that something was not right. Right before her eyes, the man's skin shredded away to reveal a thick layer of gray fur, and a long bushy tail burst out of his back. His teeth grew into long white daggers and a protruding snout, and his nails extended themselves to wicked blades. This newly formed abomination jumped up to its hind legs and let out a savage snarl. Sandy shrieked as it shredded the nearest person with one quick swipe. Some warm, sticky blood spreaded on her face where it mixed in with her running tears. Alec moved through the kitchen of his restaurant, making sure that everything was going the way he wanted it to. Alicia, you're slicing the gyros too thin. Thanks. More ice on the drinks. Dalton, not so many onions on those burgers. Just then, there was a sudden commotion out in the dining area. Alec looked out of the kitchen to see the patrons crowding around some man who had collapsed on the tile floor and seemed to be shaking uncontrollably. He's wasted, Alec vomited to himself. Probably another heart attack, he figured. That's what happens when we eat here seven days a week. When the paramedics arrived, they all knelt around the man and got to work. Suddenly, a werewolf jumped out in the crowd of paramedics and started ripping people apart, flipping over tables, and generally making a mess of the place. Everyone in the dining area made a beeline for the door, screaming in terror. Alec, mar- mar- Alec marched out of the kitchen with his Glock 18 handgun that he had bought for such an occasion. Aiming it sideways, he fired a few shots at the beast. He did not appreciate monsters in his restaurant. It was bad for business. The werewolf turned to give him a quick glance with its menacing black eyes and then left out the front window. Al cut out a long sigh because he knew there would be no more customers for the next few days. He informed his employees that they could go home after the place was cleaned up and left for home, flipping the open sign to closed on his way out. My name is Jacob Feliciano, and my story is called Rain in Oklahoma. The dark, si- <clears throat> the dark sidewalks are beginning to glow. The fog that hugged me for ten blocks is releasing its grip. I'm saved by the sun. Another ten years have passed. Another birthday. It was great. 
Me, the bartender, and Vodka had a hell of a night. Next stop, on the house, down, on the house diner. I took my usual corner booth. Hey, Chip. How you doing? The waitress asks. I'm doing good. What do you have? Let's see. No one ever comes in here anymore since the rats took over most of the restaurants around the south side of the city. I personally think the food is better on here. The red hairs must give the omelets more flavor. I'll have the Oklahoma omelet, I said. Okay, Chip. I remember the first day I was in here. Twenty years ago, I sat in the same spot. It was the day I met Wendy West. I came in here every morning to see her bouncy brown curls, cinnamon brown skin, dimple faced smile, and her ocean blue eyes. She was beautiful. She had my Oklahoma omelet and toast. Something made her trip. I think it was her shoelace, or was it a kid running? I don't know. Anyway, the ham, onion, green peppers, cheddar cheese, and egg were everywhere. On the table, on my lap, and the floor where Wendy, Wendy knelt dro dropping her tears in her apron. Don't cry, I said. I'm going to lose my job for this, she, she said, crying. I took a knee beside her and dried her tears. Look at the bright side. You have the whole day, whole day spent with me now. She lifted her head up and, at me and smiled. We spent all afternoon at the carnival downtown. I won her mood ring that cost me ten bucks on the ring toss. I got on one knee, her hand in mine, and the ring in the other. Her cheeks turned a rose red. I promise that this ring will always be red when you're with me, because I'll always make you happy. I slipped it on her finger. It turned red. When the sun became tired of shining, we went to relax on the Ferris wheel. There's something about you I like. I'm so happy when I'm with you, she, she said. Well, I'm glad you had a good time with me today. I feel, but I feel bad though that you lost your job. I said, "It's okay. It was worth it," she said. We kissed for the first time, but not the last. Within a year, we were wed. I kept my promise for ten years. Until one night, just across the, from this very diner, Wendy and I were walking home from the bar. It, it was her thirty-first birthday. Her legs could hardly. Her legs could hardly keep her up. Look, babe, there's where we first met, she said, pulling me towards the diner into the street. Watch out, I shouted, trying to pull her back to the sidewalk. It was too late. Her hand left mine, and I watched a gray BMW collide into her. The collision flung her body into the air. I can still hear the crack of her neck bone, her neck bone made when it hit the concrete face first like a dolphin diving in the ocean. I should have held on tighter. I kept her safe in my arms until the ambulance came. I grabbed the hand that I lost and kissed it. Her mood, her mood ring was still red until a cloud of black buried it forever. A car sped, sped by taking me out of my thoughts. The waitress was, was on her way with my omelet. Her smile was as sweet as Wendy's was. Suddenly she shrieks as a rat shoots by her ankles. And again, it's raining Oklahoma.
name is Jesse Hidalgo, and my piece is called Stuck in Hunger. Sliders, chicken rings, fries, large coke. I am starving. The pleasure of eating a delicious cuisine after a long journey is exactly what I need right now. None of the food from those fancy Italian restaurants will suffice. I'm looking for something that will quench my appetite and not leave me broke. As I arrive at my dining destination, it will be hard to control myself. The smell of burgers being cooked on a bed of onions will smell of burgers being cooked on a bed of onions and the cashier just waiting for my order will drive me over the edge. It's almost as if one reason why they opened the restaurant today was because of me. How can I help you, sir? The cashier asked. As I think of what I want to order, I can't help but notice they have a special. Buy five cheeseburgers, get five free. I say that phrase over and over in my head until I finally have all my thoughts collected and I'm able to order without stuttering. Yeah, I would like ten cheeseburgers with no pickles. I hate pickles. An order of fries, one order of ranch chicken rings, and a large Dr. Pepper. I cannot contain my smile as soon as I hear the cashier punch in my order on the register. I now know I'm j just minutes away from being in paradise. Five, six, seven, even eight minutes have gone past, and I still haven't received my order. What can possibly be taking them so long? I'm the only one in here, and there's nobody in the drive-thru. I try to control myself by inhaling the intoxicating sense, but that only lasts a few moments. By the ninth minute, I'm far from being patient. I've had a long day, and I just want to sit down and enjoy my food in peace. The longer it takes, the more irritated I feel. It's like someone is dangling my bag of food over my head to where it's just out of reach. Finally, I receive my order in all of its glory. It's as if my food will taste that much better because of the gruesome waiting I had to endure. I find the nearest table in the dining room area, plant myself, and prepare for the meal of a lifetime. Oh no, I don't browse around like an old lady looking for a table. The closest one will be just fine. I can eat on the ground for all I care, just as long as I have my meal. As I bring the first slider up to my mouth, I can't help but realize the ecstasy that is coming over me. I know this feast will be well worth the wait. When I bite into the first cheeseburger, I can't help but hear a crunch, followed by a sour taste. I can't believe they put pickles on my cheeseburgers. Hello, my name is Terry. Uh, this piece is called Carolina's. Um, Carolina's Supper Club is a neighborhood restaurant with style, read the Washington Post. We attract people from all over the, all over the globe with our Louisiana atmosphere and our live jazz. So needless to say, our staff is as diverse as the clientele we serve. Like, for instance, Carmen Gray, 
Carmen is a great-looking girl from Savannah, Georgia, that became one of our main attractions after Tony, the general manager, heard her singing in the ladies' room one day. A job, I must say, she takes way too seriously. Her contract states that if she increases business at the restaurant as a headline singer, she would get a percentage of the profits. I don't know. Maybe it's me. But I don't think they should have give, given Miss Carmen that. They shouldn't have told Miss Carmen that. She's the type that goes for the shock value. And to increase business, she's been wearing clothing that you can see straight through. Last week, she wore a blouse three sizes too small and a skirt that looked like a tube top. But she's doing her job. Business has increased. Now, Jimmy Smith is a bartender. He's been here since the place opened. He's a nice guy, quiet, lives with his mother, three cats and a dog. I, ne I never heard him say much until Carmen came to work here. She's been here six months, and he still hasn't gotten up the nerve to talk to her. He just stares at her and smiles a lot. The man romanticizes about her so much that he actually thinks he's in a relationship. A, a couple of days ago, I just couldn't take it anymore. I, had, I decided to sit Jimmy down and talk to him. I just had to know what it, what it was about this woman that made him so interested in her. I mean, after all, there are a lot of pretty faces around here, and most of them are not trying to show every person in here everything they've got. But after an hour and a half of talking to him, I thought, well, damn, she sounds pretty good to me, too. Jimmy said that Carmen was someone he admired from a distance because because he knew her from years ago. He said that she was a lead singer in a band and I remembered in a band that I remembered but no one had heard from them after their second album. As Jimmy talked about the days before Carmen was discovered, I found myself reminiscing about that time in my life. He said that she was a singer in a little club in Harlem, and he worked the bar, but they never really met. Jimmy said that he loved her then. Initially, he said, I had a problem with the way she dressed, but the more you're around her, the more you realize that she's just very comfortable with her body and likes to show it off because she also has a great mind. The lady was only interested in men that could recognize that she had more to offer than just her body. She, she left her record label because they tried to pass her off as a dumb blonde even though her hair was black. She went back to college, finished her master's in business, and started back doing what she loved all along, singing in clubs. So I asked Jimmy, if you're so in love with this girl, why don't you just ask her out? He smiled, dropped his head, and said she can have any guy she wanted. Why would she want me? Because I, I've loved you for years, the voice said in the background. I didn't know you were interested in me.
How are we doing? <clears throat> My uh, story is called Cower. It's about this old cook I worked with at a nursing home back in the day who was uh, a little out of his mind. Okay. It was Mac's first day. He was confident and even showed up 15 minutes early. He was going to be trained by Herman. Herman was an old German cook with a handlebar mustache. We had been with the restaurant for some time now. He was balding and combed over what hair he had left. As Mac entered the kitchen, Herman was already waiting, sitting on the counter over by the stove. Okay, now it's pretty easy once you get going, so pay attention. You'll be my shadow for today, you understand? You have no cooking experience, correct? Mac was a bit confused. Herman had a strong accent, and with his shifty eye contact and slight mumbling, things were off to the best start. But Mac replied with confidence and spoke proper. No, sir. Can't say that I have. We'll start the soup. I usually add the water because I don't see the point in measuring. Fill the water up to about the curve of my belly. Curve your belly? Yeah, just remember the curve of my belly is a water marker. Herman grabbed his giant mound of stomach and jiggled it, forcing his shirt up, letting his carpet of chest hair peek through. Mac was bewildered. I would prefer to use gallons instead. It's a little more traditional. The hell's the point of that? I always, uh, I, I, I always, I, boy. You got to learn in the restaurant business. There's no time for mistakes. So look at my belly. He gave it a quick pat and filled the damn water. Mac lowered his head and let out a smirk. He could not believe this, but he did as he was told. Yes, sir. Good. Now grab the salt and pepper. It's the most important spices you use. Now watch. Just grab a huge handful with each hand and drop it right in. Shouldn't we wash our hands? Mac sounded a bit desperate. No reason. I'm sure yours are clean. Mac looked right through Herman. He was baffled by how dumb this man could be. Okay, but you were just touching your stomach. Maybe it would be a good idea to just give it a quick rinse. No time to spare, boy. You'll catch on, don't worry. While we let this water boil, let me try to slice a turkey for later. Is that the same turkey that's been sitting on the back counter? No better way to frost meat than the God-given room temperature. I'm sure there isn't, but maybe... Mac didn't even care to finish. Son, I've been cooking for 51 years. This is how they did it when I was growing up. Hell, in Chinatown, they have their meat hang up in the streets. Maybe we should just continue, Mac pleaded. Now, what exactly do we do with the meat? Well, we slice it. Now, grab the vegetable knife and meet me in the back counter. The vegetable knife. Jesus Christ. That's it. Hi, I'm John Mikulskis, and this is Restaurant Rumpus. Damn, why do you think no restaurants serve sweet potatoes? I can't help but scoff at this perverse statement. Chris, what the hell do you care? I shortly reply. He was changing the subject. I would not tolerate his idiocy today. I just think it'd be nice, you know. A restaurant serves a nice turkey dinner like this. They should have the options of some sweet potatoes. Is that okay? Chris had always known that I hate it when people change the subject, ever since we started hanging out all those years ago. He may have started it to break this uncomfortable silence, but now he's just doing it to piss me off, and it's working. 
I better not hear another goddamn word about anything other than what we came here to talk about this series. He asked me to come all the way down here to talk about how you screwed up our friendship and now you're going on and on about yams. Chris just sits there searching for the right thing to say. He knows I'm sitting on a volcano of rage and one wrong word out of his mouth will end in me engaging in an uproarious rant that will seemingly never end. He just stares at me, looking like Frankenstein's monster, what with his huge forehead and sunken in eyes. God, I hate him. All right, fair enough. I asked you to come here because uh, I wanted to talk about why we're not friends anymore. <sighs> because you're dating my best friend's ex-girlfriend, you dumb fuck. I kept repeating this in my head again and again until the rage builds inside me fills me the point. I must release it. How could you even ask that, you asshole? You were there when she broke up with Bill. You were there when he cried, and you were there when he was suicidal. And less than a week later, you ask her out? Fuck you. I now notice the tables flipped over on the floor. I stood before a mess of broken dishes, glass, and spoiled food. It's like I blacked out. I blacked out, and when I came to, I'm standing over him, screaming. The entire restaurant was now silent, and I felt thousands of eyes on me. I could feel the blood rushing to my face. It makes me feel warm, and I'm even starting to sweat now. I hear someone in the crowd whisper, That guy's wasted. I never felt so embarrassed, but at the same time, I've never felt so powerful. This one random event stopped everyone from doing what they were doing, as if the power of God had come out of my mouth and stricken everyone with paralysis. Chris was seized in terror. He knew I had it in me. He's seen me create chaotic upheaval among people before, but I can clearly see that he never expected me to freak out on him. I hope this makes it apparent to him that we can never be friends again. I'll never forgive him for what he's done. I took advantage of this power I released, and I left the restaurant while I got the last word in. The customers look at me with an expressionless look of awe as I exit in now what feels like slow motion but I don't care. I said what I feel is right and what needed to be said. I sure hope Christina never leaves him because if she does, that friendless piece of shit will be eating sweet potatoes at home alone. Hey, that was our last uh, reader. Uh, writers, would you please come on up and we'll just give you another hand and we'll see if there are any questions. Thanks, everybody, for the variety of pieces you had today. Well, thanks again for coming. Uh, we really uh, love this opportunity to share the work from the class. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.